Thank you for joining IAB There. Hello there. Uh, my name is David Cohen. I am the CEO of the IAB, and today is Tuesday, October 13th, and welcome to IAB There. Uh, I am super excited to welcome uh, Bob Pittman uh, to, uh, to the show, and we're going to be talking about a whole host of things, but the title that we have landed on is Boundless Potential. What is in store for iHeart and the future of audio uh, with Bob, Pitt, Bob Pittman? I have a long kind of biography on Bob, which I am not going to read, but I'll leave, just give you a, a snippet, which I think will give you a, a sense of, uh, of, of Bob. Bob is chair and uh, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. He is the co-founder and programmer who led the team that created MTV and has been the CEO of MTV Networks, AOL Networks, Six Flags, Theme Parks, Quantum Media, Century 21 Real Estate, and Time Warner Enterprises. He was also COO of America Online and later AOL Time Warner. And that just makes me feel like, what have I done lately, for God's sakes? Bob, welcome to the show. It's great to see you. Well, thank you. It's great to be here and uh, great to uh, talk to you virtually, even if we can't do it in person. Yes, I was actually thinking uh, as I was preparing for this, the last time we saw each other, it was quite some time ago. I have to believe it was at one of your events. It might very well have been in Las Vegas, uh, which was such always such awesome times. How are you doing in this kind of crazy year? How's the team doing? Let's just start with that. Well, well, it's interesting. It's a tale of two cities. With the consumer, we've never been more important. Uh, we've seen a dramatic increase in the use of our digital platforms at home. Uh, we've seen podcasts grow at a sort of remarkable rates. Um, and the consumer has really reached out to us and bonded with us in new ways. They're listening on more occasions during the day. This idea that radio is your companion, that we're somebody's friend. They need us more than ever now. So that's great. The bad part is the advertising revenue dropped like a brick in, uh, in late March and April. Uh, it's coming back. Uh, so it's been painful that way. And we've had to do what every other company that experienced that had to do, which is we had to reduce cost. We uh, reduced about $250 million of cost in this year. Um, and uh, the good news is I'm an old guy. So I've been at this a long time. I've seen a lot of downturns and I sort of know what you got to do when you hit them. Uh, but I think also it's given us some interesting opportunities uh, that we're learning new ways to work. Uh, we're catching up to technology. Uh, we've compressed probably 10 years of technology adoption internally and in business into weeks, months. Yeah. Um, and I think for us, that's opening doors to uh, new things. And we've invented some new things. We did these virtual events and, you know, we're well known, as you pointed out, for our events. And when we decided we couldn't do the award show live on Fox this year, we had a slot, we worked with Fox and we developed this living room concert, which everybody thought was going to be a bust. Now, what? You have stars on iPhones and oh, we got out John to host it. We had Alicia Keys open it up. And uh, it's turned out, I think, to be the highest rated Sunday night entertainment show on Fox for the entire year. It was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we raised, right. and we raised $16 million. And we had this massive social traffic about it. Uh, and so we just did, we just finished the iHeartRadio Music Festival, 10th anniversary, as you can imagine, we were planning big things and the T-Mobile Arena, this comes about. So instead of doing them from home, we actually COVID tested all the performers and did them one by one alone in our iHeartRadio Theater in LA and in Vegas and in a couple of others and put it together. And 
we were sort of like, oh my gosh, how could that be the festival? We did it over two days, the same thing, and our social impressions were up about 20% over last year, and our live streams set an all-time record. So, you know, you go, wait a minute, maybe we've discovered a whole new way of interacting with our audience that for our sponsors has this massive reach instead of 20,000 reach, and yet it has this massive impact on our brand with the consumers, as well as our sponsors' uh, uh, brand impact. So. From our standpoint, you know, we've gone everywhere from, isn't this horrible, to, okay, but out of the horror comes some new learnings, and I hope we're nimble enough to be taking advantage of them to discover new things. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a great uh, lesson, and one of the things that we think about is, uh, are we going to take some of these kind of virtual experiences, and are they going to live on far beyond this pandemic? You know, this too will pass, as we know, we'll be kind of on the other side of this hopefully soon. Uh, what can we learn from this? We, we're doing the same thing at the IAB, whether it was the new fronts or podcast upfronts. We've had such great virtual turnouts that we're going to take some of that magic and actually bring it back to uh, when we're past all of this. Let me just um, go back for one half second and just talk about kind of radio, kind of the, the core. Uh, radio is a local phenomenon. This pandemic has been largely uh, uh, local in nature. You know, some kind of uh, states, markets uh, have been opening up, others have been closing down. What I imagine your purview has been really interesting to see kind of the opening, the closing, the how has that kind of played itself out over the past six or seven months? Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And I think people, you know, it's interesting, the streaming music services, because we always say audio is two sectors. There's radio and there's the music collection. And the music collection, and it used to be LPs and CDs and downloads. Now it's streaming music services. You use those when you want to escape the world. I want to go into my zone. And radio has always been, I want to find out what's going on in the world. I need a friend. I need somebody to keep me company. We're companionship. And we just saw the streaming services go down and radio shot up as everybody began to need that kind of friendship and that companionship. Mm. So we leaned heavily into it. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, the first uh, month you heard nothing but sort of COVID updates. What do you need to get to survive? And we sort of took our lessons from what we do when a tornado hits a town or a hurricane mm. or something terrible, devastating, and did the same things. And you're right, it varied city by city in terms of the needs. And now we're seeing, as you point out, cities opening up at differential rates. One, it becomes important to our advertisers because we had advertisers before that were national advertisers, many of them that use TV said, wait a minute, I need this to be different from market by market. I need to use you. And obviously since we're the biggest local reach uh, mm. media company in America, biggest reach media company too, we became very important and sort of played into our strength. So we've developed some new advertisers and some new relationships with advertisers as a result of that as well as being able to make sure we're not doing one size fits all, that what we're talking about in uh, uh, you know, Hattiesburg, Laurel, Mississippi, is quite different than what we're talking about in New York City, and their view of the pandemic is quite different, and yeah. we're able to match the community, community by community, and obviously for us, bring our advertisers along so that although it may be a national advertiser, they sound like they're attuned with each community uh, regardless of what that community feels like. Mm, yeah, that makes tons of sense. Um, I, I, I understand that. The flip side of that, obviously, is, and you touched on this uh, earlier, there was some fears. I mean, uh, drive time is kind of like a, a big consumption uh, time for uh, radio, for uh, audio, for podcasts. And there was some concern 
that podcasts were going to see actually a downturn uh, as a result of kind of uh, limited drive time. In fact, we've seen the opposite. We've seen podcasts has actually grown during the pandemic. We, we had our kind of podcast upfront. Awesome. Tremendous diversity of talent. Talk a little bit about kind of what you're seeing in that space. You touched on it, but go a little deeper. Well, look, I, I think at the end of the day, I'm going to go back to radio. Radio is not about music. It's not about talk shows. It's about, about news. That's tactics. Radio is about companionship. That's really what we are. We're, we give everybody in America a friend anytime, anywhere. That's our mission statement for the company. Podcasting turns out to be very much the radio experience. It's about companionship. The successful podcasts are all host-driven, just like a radio station's host-driven. Yeah. Yeah. And people are, that person sort of keeps them company. And the host is more important sometimes than the actual specific content. And the highly produced, almost TV-like podcasts don't do very well. The ones that are very folksy and very much about a person do really well. Yeah, yeah. And so I think you saw in this pandemic that there was just this insatiable appetite for companionship. People were feeling very uncomfortable. They still are. They're really feeling like they need somebody there with them. You know, mental health issues are all on the rise as well. So we've played a very important role. And I think podcast has done that. And it's been the new entrant in that. And mm. we think of podcasting sort of like Netflix that podcasts are sort of long form, on demand, or radio-like programming, even if it's not on the radio, just like Netflix was that for TV. But instead of that being another company that takes our programs and does that, we did it ourselves. So we're the number one podcaster. We and NPR sort of you know, duke it out every month, neck and neck, and then we're about mm. twice the size of the next largest. I think it's no secret, no, no, no secret why that is. We're both radio companies. Mm. Uh, so it's a natural evolution for us to expand into that. So the pandemic for us was an opportunity for people who perhaps had not sampled podcasting or hadn't listened to as many to sample them and, and get interested in them. What was interesting is our audience grew a certain amount, but our downloads grew much more, which mm -hmm. tells us that that audience was listening to more episodes, uh, therefore more downloads. So not only were we attracting new people to podcasting, but the people who were listening to podcasts listened to more podcasts. So that's been a, a, a positive experience. And also, I think from an advertising standpoint, we announced in second quarter, our podcasting revenue, all our, all our revenue was down a lot. Our podcasting revenue up 100%. Wow. 100% year over year. Yeah. And I think if you look back at every recession in the advertising business, and I go back to the recession of 87, 88 was my first one. I was really uh, in a senior enough position to have to feel it, is that in each recession, the advertisers that take chances. You know, when things are going well, I can tell everybody about the power of audio and podcasting and everything else. And then, and they'll say, Bob, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I, I buy your case studies, but things are going well. I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. When things aren't going well, they say, okay, let's give it a try. And I think coming out of 87, 88 and the 90, 91, uh, 92 recession came cable networks. Uh, broadcasting had all the money until then. And those two were times when they sampled that. When we hit 97, 98, I was at AOL. I think when I joined AOL, I had two or three million dollars of ad revenue when I left to it, about three billion. It broke in the 97, 98 uh, uh, recession when people said, okay, I'll, I'll give that online stuff a try. The, the 0102.com bust saw the birth of search as a big advertising category. Mm. 0809 saw the birth of, of social. 
And I think this one sees the emergence of podcasting and audio. And I think the big news coming out of this is people took a chance on audio during this pandemic and they're really pleased with the results. And of course, for a company like ours, we've been making this investment, as you know, because we've worked closely on it together yeah. in your yeah. previous job on data and analytics. Uh, and now, so instead of it being old media, it's now new and exciting media led by podcasting and obviously the bulk and the scale that supports it is broadcast radio in which we've now been able to put the targetability attribution and analytics behind it that heretofore you can only get through our digital products yes yes indeed and, and you know i think that the the streaming uh video growth has been getting a lot of the limelight but i, I think that we kind of continue to remind ourselves that streaming audio is actually exhibiting the same kind of resurgence and renaissance which is actually Big, uh, bigger yeah. bigger and i think that's what's surprising to people I, I think also there's a macro issue at work here that you probably see a lot is that in video the consumers sort of run out of time for their eyes uh they can't watch anymore in audio they still have time for their for their ears uh there's still more time if you look at video and i know you study this is people are usually doing two or three electronic media at one time on video mm -hmm. Uh, it means they're listening to some and watching some or going back and forth. On audio, they're doing something else as well, but it's not media related. It's cooking, it's driving, it's walking, uh, it's doing some housework, it's lying in the bathtub, it's taking a shower, it's shaving, uh, it's getting out of bed, it's getting dressed. So all of those things are still open and fertile territory i think on the video side and by the way we do some video on video it's sort of zero sum game if i'm going to get some eyeballs somebody's got to give up some eyeballs on audio there's still an expansion of ear time and i think that's been good for all of us because yeah. there's a real collegial nature among the audio players because we recognize i don't for me to win you don't have to lose we can all win uh there's this additional time let's fill it up and and i think there's this generational change too there used to be this good old thing called some quiet time, my free time. <laughs> I remember that. There is, yeah. there is not anymore. There's right, not right. one second of your right. existence. So you don't have a phone in your hand, a TV on, listening yeah. to something. And we're doing something for Halloween, 13 days of Halloween, that we're doing 3D audio, which is you can only really experience it with headphones on or earbuds or something. And it's extraordinary what 3D audio does. I mean, it'll just take you, hear people moving around you. I mean, to the point that your head starts moving with it. And uh, so we're beginning to bring some new technology to audio too. And probably we couldn't have brought it two years ago or three years ago because one, the technology wasn't good enough and not enough people wore the headphones. Now we're finding what 60% of the digital audio listening is probably with headphones on or, yeah. or, 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 or some kind of device. So we're now able to build new products based on that change as well. I need to check that out. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's it's coming. Cool. Come on. It's great podcast too. I mean, we've got uh, uh, Blumhouse, which is known for horror, is doing it with us, Aaron Mankey. So we've got some great creators doing it. Uh, 13 days of Halloween. Nice. So it's and, and by the way, if you think about what's going on too in America, you ask about the COVID. What's tough is that people have had to give up institutions. They had to give up graduation. So we did this virtual commencement speeches on podcasting. Got mm. spectacular results to that. You know, everybody from Bill and Melinda Gates to uh, Sienna Miller uh, and everybody in between. And then we did the virtual prom, but. What's nice now is we're thinking about, we're looking ahead and saying, well, what else are people missing? 
well, they're missing Halloween, which is for kids is oh, so important huge. to them. It's such yeah. a, so, so we've been looking at, okay, what do we do on the radio and in podcasting to fill that void? So uh, we've sort of taken it as our mission. And I think we've probably been the leader by far in virtual events and the successful virtual events is we look at everything at, from the consumer angle. What are they missing? What can we do? And how are we going to do it? And uh, so hence Halloween. I promise you it'll be scary. I promise you it'll be a new experience. Give it a try. Awesome. I will try that out for sure. So you mentioned uh, back to my agency days, which I sometimes remember, remember fondly. I remember sitting down with you and talking about all the things that we were hearing from our clients trying to solve client problems. I'm sure you're still having ongoing conversations all the time with marketers. What, what do you hear from them? What are, what are they struggling with most uh, today that, that you help them with? Well, look, I, I think, you know, pretty well known. I think everyone rushed to data and analytics. I do a podcast called Math and Magic because those are the two faces of, of marketing. Uh, I got to know the analytics and then I got to do something about how to yeah. motivate them. And I think the pendulum swung way over to, to, um, to data and analytics without regard to, okay, I found them. I know what to do. How are we going to motivate them? Uh, because I can find them one place doesn't mean that's the best place to motivate them. And I think you look at Mark Pritchard at P&G, who I think is one of the absolute geniuses of our industry. And Mark, you know, made that big swing where he uh, re-looked at his marketing mix and said, wait a minute, I over-invested in just the analytics and data and targeting. And he added back radio and outdoor to his mix. And as you know, I mean, he's had record results. I mean, just uh, like this. And, uh, and I think we're seeing other advertisers that are doing that as well. So I think when you get to what's the question, they're all trying to get the mix right because you can have data and analytics. And then you can have stuff like radio that really does move people. TV in certain cases with certain audience moves people. Uh, OTT, I mean, they all have a place. What's the right balance of it? And yeah. how do you maximize the value? And the way the media mix models have been set up is they sort of first do TV and then they see if I can get anything incremental from radio. Well, actually, if you did it the other way around and started with radio as the base and added TV, you'd find a much different economic and ROI that. outcome. Yeah. Uh, so for us, it's been about helping people, and I think they're looking for us to do it, help them understand how we can help in the media mix to one, goose results, uh, to improve, improve efficiency. I think during this pandemic, almost all companies had to make some cut or at least watch their marketing dollars in the best case. Uh, so suddenly efficiency became wildly important. And we have built over the past five, six, seven years, some incredible learnings and case studies on how to improve performance while dealing with a budget cut. You have to take some chances. You have to do things differently. You have to change the media mix. Um, and we've been going through that with a, with a lot of our clients. And, uh, and by the way, even with events, people that were very, it, where the event was a very important part to them, how do we turn that into a virtual event and get that same benefit for them? Yeah. So it's been about reinvention. It's been about sharing experiences. And, I, and hopefully, uh, you know, we all learn a lot coming out of this that will apply for the next 10 years. You, you hit the nail on the head. I think you said this earlier before. We've seen like three years of evolution uh, happen over the past six months. And I think that- I would say 10 years of evolution. Well, uh, well uh, 10, three, whatever. I mean, that sends market mix models into a right. into a tizzy. So I mean, we've been talking about kind of 
the general proclivity of uh, marketers is take what you did last year and make some tweaks, you know, make some changes. Right. If ever there was a time for a clean sheet of paper for 2021, it's probably now. So uh, we're, we're right. trying to encourage kind of just a, uh, a clean sheet uh, mentality. Talk to me a little bit about programmatic. We have talked about that uh, over the years. What role does programmatic play in your kind of go-to-market proposition? Yeah, you, we look at, uh, when we talk to our, our advertising partners, our, our marketing partners, it's really a barbell. We're either having a real important idea conversation about yeah. how I, they've got a particular problem to solve, the value we have to them is the value is the value of solving that problem, and uh, and we work with custom solutions, pull all of our assets together. The other side, the the other end of the barbell, is people who want to buy a certain amount of media. Uh, I want to buy X number of points, or I want to get such kind of reach and frequency. I need so many impressions. I need to reach auto and tenders. I need to reach, uh, you know, lapsed uh, whatever, and so. When we've got that kind of data, we've now got hundreds of audiences uh, in, in addition to the Nielsen audiences, which I think are, you know, people are far beyond that today. And I think at that end, people are, although they're still using people to do it, we're seeing an increasing percentage of people use our electronic platform for that. And I think that and the dashboard, the real-time dashboard that goes with it, things they've gotten accustomed to in buying digital, they've moved from cost per point to cost per thousand, they've moved from average quarter hour to impressions. Um, and we are prepared for that, we've built out for it, we know it's here. Uh, I mean, it's not gonna suddenly one day, one's gonna turn off and the other turn on, but we're seeing the rise of that and, uh, and we built for it and, you know, we, look, I came out of the digital world. I was one of those people to convince people, don't use broadcaster, use <laughs> digital. Um, and, and we still have major digital products as well, strictly digital products in addition to our broadcast products. And having this kind of multi-platform, we've, we've had a need to unify it. Uh, we've had a need to sell it the same way to interface with our partners. And some people still prefer to make traditional buys and others are going to the electronic platform and we're agnostic, whatever they want, uh, we'll invest the money and be there for them. Yeah, that's a, that makes a lot of sense. The barbell, so are one of those sides growing faster than the other? Is it the big ideas, the programmatic, or is there still a, a big chunk in the middle uh, or are they migrating to those poles? I think it's becoming, you know, bifurcated yeah you yeah. know there used to be stuff in the middle which was sort of like give me some value add and uh, you know it's like well that's not <laughs> really that, an yeah. idea and it's sort of buying points and it was a little messier today i think it's either look i need a, i've got a plan i need a certain amount of weight reach i need to be able to get this message to people let's just talk about that it's almost a transactional uh relationship and then the other side which is I got a big problem. I got my millennials are gone or, you know, I've got to open this thing next weekend or I need X number of people to watch this new TV show coming on. I got an app. I need to get a certain number of downloads. Okay, let's come up with a plan to build it. So I think it's either one of those two and we're building our organization instead of everybody doing everything and being sort of fuzzy. We're saying you're an expert on this or you're an expert on that and that we can, as we talk to our partners, begin to do it. And by the way, some partners say, look, I want to talk to you about this, and then I want to buy some media. Yep. So we're able to do both, but I think we're thinking about as two separate products that we're offering in two different ways. When we go to sort of the programmatic transaction, if the marketplace sort of sets the price. Um, you know, you're, it's, it's almost a, a, a bid ask. When you go to the, uh, to the big idea, 
It's how comfortable, how good is the idea? How comfortable are they that the idea will work? Uh, and if it works, how valuable is, is that to the company? That sort of de defines the pricing there. Got it, got it. And I imagine that different vertical categories will probably align to some of that more, more so than others. There might be something that makes sense for CPG or retail or um, financial services. So I imagine there's kind of a, a give and, and take uh, in terms of the, the suite that you offer and who does what with it. And, and so. it's also what campaign are they working on? What's their need right now? Right. Um, I mean, sometimes the business comes to us from the communications group. Uh, which sometimes doesn't even report in through the marketing group. And they've got to get a message out about something new or something going on. And they come to us to get the message out, uh, sometimes editorially, sometimes with advertising. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I have loved about you through the years, you always um, kind of set me straight on a common misperception. You think audio is something and you're like, actually, you're wrong. It's something else. So is there a common misperception still today in 2020? about audio that you think that the market has? And, and, and is there something that you want to set straight as a relationship? Yeah, I, look, I think the consumer understands it very well. Yeah. I think the world we live in, you and We're I live in, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a look, look, I always, when I'm having a conversation with someone, I, I always start in a room, back in the days when I in a room, say, how many people in the room own or know somebody who owns a Tesla? Third of the hands go up in the room. I say, that's less than 1% of the cars in America. How many people in the room have Sirius XM in their car? Half the hands go up. I go, that's about 10% of the cars in America. How many people in the room earn less than $66,000 a year for everybody working in your household? No hands go up. And I go, that's half of America. <laughs> so I think we have, when we think mass market, we got to get out of our head. I mean, here I am in Manhattan, uh, living in a high rise, uh, life's pretty good. Uh, that's not the normal experience. And so I think we have to constantly look at that consumer. And I think one of the misperceptions is what is radio? Radio is not a junior TV. Radio is a much different uh, relationship with the consumer. And it's a wildly important one. And, and it's radio, not audio, because audio, other sectors of audio have another relationship. But with radio, we're somebody's friend. And when you're somebody's friend, the way a marketer should use you is quite different than I'm somebody's hobby like TV, where it's, it's almost like a billboard. There's something there. Let me show it. Uh, and, and the other misperception is that I need to show it. And, and I usually test that. When somebody tells me that, I say, can you tell me about that new car? And they go, yeah, tell me about that. And they get really passionate, excited about it. And I say, it's great, it's great. And at the end, I go, you know, you didn't show me a picture. Hmm. And you described the car and you got me excited about it. The truth is almost every product is you get people excited through the words about it, through somebody telling you about it, a conversation. Your best friend, when your best friend tells you about something, you get wildly excited. I remember I had a friend who called me one Sunday morning, woke me up and said, this conversation began, go see the Martian. And I, I, could you say hello, good morning? <laughs> and he saw the movie the night before, just said, go see it didn't tell me what it was about, I said, just go see it, trust me. And that's the power of the conversation because I didn't see the trailer. I didn't see, read the review. I heard my friend tell me, go see it. That's what radio does. And I think that's the misperception that somehow they think it's a junior uh, sibling of TV. I've been in TV, I've been in digital, I've been in all of them. Radio is unique in the sense that it's the friend medium. And what's the, anytime a, having a friend tell you about a product will be powerful for the product, yeah the brand, 
radio would be good for you. It takes that, that traditional kind of marketing funnel from awareness to advocacy, and it kind of shortens it to like, uh, you didn't know about anything, you tried it immediately. I think that that's absolutely true. And that's, uh, that's true about, um, about a couple of things in the, in the kind of marketing and media ecosystem. I've got one last question for you, Bob. This has been an awesome conversation as I knew it would be. Uh, let's talk about kind of the industry at, as a whole, and then we'll talk about iHeart specifically. So 2021, we are heading into hopefully a year that will be different uh, than, than 2020 has been. What are you most optimistic about for the, um, either the world, the business, and then talk about kind of iHeart specifically? Well, look, I, I, I hope, and so this is a hope more than that, I hope that we've found ways in this pandemic to be concerned about others. And I hope with the civil unrest we've seen uh, and in the fight for, for racial equality yeah. in America and the heightened awareness of it, that uh, the empathy in people has increased. Uh, and that I hope what 21 is about is about a year of building understanding. Uh, and I think we have a big role in that. Uh, you know, we're the company that after uh, the, 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 the George Floyd killing, uh, we had Rush Limbaugh and The Breakfast Club have a conversation, and it was simulcast on Rush's show and simulcast on our, on our hip-hop, uh, R&B, and, and gospel stations around the country. It was probably the first time that those two communities had heard each other's points of view directly from someone wow. of the other community. Amazing. And I think that was a, a statement about you know, what we're looking for and where we're going in 21. And so I think we have a particular obligation uh, to try and bring people together and try and foster understanding uh, and to bring people that seem disparate where you say, I don't like those people. I, let's forget who doesn't like, let's like, listen, let's get in a listen mode. And so that's what we're pushing. And I, and I see signs in America that people are open to it. I think it's definitely changed the advertising message that people use. I think we're not seeing greed and showiness and yeah. luxury as being a, a good attribute right now. That's good, I think good for the country. Um, and I think the idea of I wanna talk to other people and I wanna understand other people, one puts us in the center of it. So I like it from our standpoint, yeah. but with being put in the center, it also says we have an obligation. And that obligation is to make sure we have all these diverse voices. We made a pledge, a promise, and we're making good on it, that at least 50% of the podcast we introduced this year will be from players, uh, diverse voices, will not be the old. We're going to break the back of it. We just said, that's it. Just by count, we're going to do it. And you know what? We got some really good podcasts. And, you know, Charlemagne the God is doing the Black Effect Podcast Network, which on launch is the number one black podcast network in America. Uh, we've got Enrique Santos uh, is doing the same kind of approach for the Latin, the Latino community. So we are able, and by the way, we've done some great stuff for the LGBTQ community. Uh, by the way, done a lot with Procter & Gamble on it. So diversity to us is very important, not because it's something we should do, by the way, we yeah. should do it, yeah. but it's because it's good for business. It's good for our society. It's good for the economy. You know, great ideas come from new voices. Rarely do great ideas come from the same old voices. Uh, so I think the more un voices we can unleash, the better our society is, the better our company is. Well, Bob, I think that there's no better way to end this conversation that was optimistic, that was hopeful, and it was uh, real, and I think true. And we're trying to emulate some of that uh, in our little kind of uh, IAB world uh, as well. So I just want to thank you for your 
your time, your insights. Um, it's great to see you. It's been a, a very long time and uh, I hope to see you again uh, sometime very, very well, soon. Thanks, thanks for all the great work the IAB is doing and thanks for your leadership there. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. All right, uh, on our next IAB there, we are excited to welcome Susan Loringer, uh, Global Advertiser Solutions at Nielsen, where we'll look at uh, discussing the measurement outlook over the coming uh, months. IAB there is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, and Carrie Villanueva. And I am David Cohen. Thank you for watching. Thank you.